Welcome to the CMS Pensions Lawcast on pension scams. This lawcast focuses on new legislative developments and updates from the regulator in addressing this increasing problem in the industry. I'm joined on this lawcast by my colleagues Alexander Bradley and Alexander Waters, and also by Mark Radley, who is a senior associate in the Technology and Administration Solutions team at Willis House Watson. Alexander is going to start by giving us an introduction to the new legislative developments contained in the Pension Schemes Act 2021. Alexander will then be taking a look at the new code of good practice recently released by the Pension Scams Industry Group. And then I will discuss with Mark the Pensions Regulator Scams Pledge. But before we begin, I thought I would start with a statistic on pension scams. The pensions regulator revealed last year that over 30 million pounds had been lost to pension scams. But this figure only represents reported cases and with many victims not yet knowing if they've been scammed and many cases obviously not reported, that figure is likely to be just the tip of the iceberg. Indeed, the pension scams industry group put a much higher figure on the issue, estimating pension scam losses at 10 billion pounds so far. So the drive to combat pension scams is going to continue to be a high profile one. I'll now hand over to Alexander to discuss recent legislative developments. Hello, as Pete mentioned, I'm going to talk about the parts of the Pension Schemes Act 2021, which deal with pension scams and what we can expect in upcoming regulations due to be implemented in the autumn. Under the existing law, members had a right to transfer out to another scheme if the receiving scheme satisfied fairly basic requirements. For example, for a transfer out to another occupational pension scheme, the new scheme had to be registered with HMRC and the member had to be in receipt of earnings from any source after the transfer. Trustees were not permitted to refuse the transfer if the member insisted, even if they were concerned it would be a scam arrangement. The government has been indicating since 2017 that it would take action. The new provisions in the Act, which received royal assent on the 11th of February, introduces a regulation making power which adds restrictions on the transfer right, and the trustees may demand additional information relating to the member's employment or place of residence, the member obtaining information or guidance about exercising the transfer right. This is likely to be from an impartial guidance body, such as PensionWise, and providing evidence of these two criteria. So about the member's employment status, place of residence, or about what guidance they have received. Trustees may, for example, ask for pay slips to demonstrate an employment link, or ask for a statement from the employer of the new scheme confirming that the member works there and participates in the receiving scheme. If there are red flags raised for a proposed transfer, trustees may direct members to further guidance or information prior to the transfer being carried out. We're expecting more detail in regulations expected to come out shortly. And these new restrictions will sit alongside existing requirements, such as the independent financial advice requirement on DB to DC transfers. In our view, we expect for many boards, this will be a welcome additional tool for trustees 
which gives them the power to apply the breaks on the statutory deadlines applying to a transfer and exercise some direct control over the process beyond just communicating with the member. However, it is worth noting that whereas before trustees were bound to honour transfer requests, these new changes dilute the transfer rights and the new hurdle arguably brings trustee oversight into sharper relief on what is a difficult topic. We look forward to seeing the scope and detail of these new powers in the regulations where what is expected of trustees should become clearer. I'm now going to pass over to Alexandra who is going to talk about new guidance from PSIG in a bit more detail. Thanks Alexander. Yes, I'm going to talk about the new version of the Code of Best Practice published by the Pension Scams Industry Group. The new code took effect from the 1st of April 2021 and is available for use in any transfer request processed on or after that date, even if the request was received before the 1st of April. In the same way as the previous code, it's voluntary and seeks to set a best practice industry standard to help identify transfer requests that may be fraudulent or a scam. The code is based on three guiding principles. Trustees, administrators and providers should raise awareness of pension scams for members and beneficiaries of their scheme, have robust, proportionate and compliant processes for assessing whether a receiving scheme may be operating as part of a pension scam and for responding to that risk, and generally be aware of the known current strategies of the perpetrators of pension scams in order to inform the due diligence they need to undertake and should refer to the warning flags as indicated in TPR's guidance, FCA alerts and by action fraud. The code is divided into four main sections, the practitioner guide, the resource pack, the technical guide and the summary of changes. The practitioner guide details the due diligence steps which should be undertaken by trustees and administrators in assessing the pension scam risk of a transfer. The resource pack contains materials for undertaking due diligence. This includes example scripts, lists of questions, decision sheets, letter and discharge form wording, action fraud reporting and case studies. The technical guide details the rationale behind the guide, including legislative and regulatory requirements. The summary of changes does exactly what it says on the tin. It details changes since the June 2019 edition, including TPR guidance, TPO decisions and High Court cases. The code suggests that trustees should regularly warn members about scams by including materials and benefit statements as well as pre-retirement and transfer packs. Pension scam information should also be included prominently on the scheme website and on any mobile applications. If the member does have a transfer right, but the trustees consider that there is a material scam risk, they should assess the risks associated with either blocking the transfer or allowing it to proceed. If the member has a statutory right to a transfer, then ultimately the trustees have to pay. Before doing so, they should telephone the member to discuss the concerns identified. If they insist on transferring, to minimise the risk of a future complaint or legal challenge, 
trustees should obtain a suitably robust discharge signed by the member before making the transfer. The discharge should clearly articulate the concerns identified, but not so as to amount to tipping off. All transfer requests of concern should be reported, including those which are refused or are withdrawn by the member. There are four specific calls to action at the end of the code. Firstly, consider the use of the telephone to better engage with the member during the due diligence process. And a final telephone call should be made with the member before any transfer payment is made when sufficient concerns of pension scamming have been identified. Secondly, all transfers of concern should be reported, not merely those transfers which are refused. Thirdly, reports should be made to a number of different agencies as required. These are listed in section eight of the practitioner guide. Finally, appropriate management information should be developed and maintained. This should include details of transfers refused, cancelled by the member when concerns have been raised with them, and transfers paid under discharge at the insistence of the member. This is intended as a high level overview of the changes in the new code, but I hope it's been helpful in signposting to the updated sections of the code. And after that canter through the updated code, I'll now pass over to Pete and Mark to discuss the scams pledge. Thanks, Alexandra. Now, combating pension scams is a clear priority for the pensions regulator. And in November last year, 2020, it launched a campaign aimed at trustees, providers and administrators, asking them to pledge their commitment to combating pension scams. But as we'll see, making the pledge is more than just giving a public statement to your members and the wider industry. And there are some practical and important steps that those making the pledge are being encouraged to take. Mark, can you tell us more about the pledge and how you are supporting trustees in relation to it? Thanks, Pete. I hope I can give you an administrator's view of the pledge, major area of work for TAS recently. So what is the pledge? The initial campaign publicity included a webinar to the industry and more recently in March 21, the pensions minister Guy Offerman wrote to 90 of the largest UK schemes urging them to participate in the pension scams industry forum, a way of helping suspected scams to be identified and reported. Um, I think it's fair to say the tone of that letter did not go down universally well with scheme trustees as it referenced the minister's view that the pensions industry has a great deal more to do in relation to scams. In reality, well-run schemes and their advisors have already taken huge strides in this area, despite the ever greater counter pressure on schemes to speed up transfers, something that at TAS we're also actively working on. However, it's worth noting that the requirements of the pledge, which go further than legislative requirements, but are heavily backed by TPR, are likely to require some changes to existing processes and member communications. Also, TPR has created a new training module for trustees as part of the trustee toolkit, looking at how it considers trustees should deal with suspicious transfers. Much of the pledge will fall on administration procedures. Trustee boards will have to pick up some of the requirements if they're going to sign the pledge. TAS has received a steady stream of clients' inquiries about the pledge from day one, so we do support it. So what's involved in signing up for the pledge? Requirements are all things well-run schemes already do, but the price, precise steps may vary slightly. It breaks down to six broad requirements, and I'll now touch a little on some of the detail. So schemes must warn members about pension scams. The scam smart leaflet and site details uh, should accompany annual benefit statements and transfer requests. TPR has confirmed that links and e-documents are acceptable. Members opting for drawdown should be encouraged to ask for impartial advice, for example, from the Pension Advisory Service or PensionWise, soon both to be rebranded as Money Helper. 
Schemes should get to know the warning signs of a scam and best practice for transfers. Trustees are expected to complete the new scams module in the trustee toolkit. Administrators need to do the same or have something equivalent. At TAS, we felt it was important that our administrators receive tailored training that work with our processes rather than the more generic product that focuses much more on the trustee role. Trustees and administrators are encouraged to be aware of the content of both FCA scams information and the PC code. They're also encouraged to become members of the Pension Scams Industry Forum done on a named individual basis. It's worth noting that the PCIF terms of reference now require new members to be supported by the nomination of a current member of the forum. So if your organisation is joining for the first time, you may need to contact your administration provider for help with that, as they, like TAS, are likely to be members. Schemes must carry out checks on pension transfers. So schemes must ensure that the current transfer checklist and procedure is robust, for example, following or aligning with the PC code. Administrators should be aware of indicators that they're dealing with a vulnerable member. It's not a legal requirement if the administrator is not FCA regulated, but it is a vital part of any administration service. Schemes are encouraged to operate a list of low risk receiving schemes to help speed up the transfer processes for those schemes. The FC is also interested in schemes and advisors involved in very high numbers of transfers over a short time. This is probably hard to spot at the scheme level and TAS has identified how to draw reports from across our client base to see if any suspicious patterns arise in relation to transfer requests, particularly those that don't go ahead. Schemes must warn members if they insist on high risk transfers being paid and at TAS we deal with this via warnings in member letters. Schemes are encouraged to call members where red flags indicate the possible scam. WTW operates an enhanced information gathering service, but a conversation about whether a member needs to think twice about a transfer to their chosen scheme fits better with the trustee's fiduciary responsibilities, in our view. Schemes should report concerns about scams. This may be one thing schemes and administrators were slow to do in the past, so the authorities may get more data on the scale and detail the scams as a result of this part of the pledge. So meeting the pledge is a two-step process. Schemes and administrators can pledge to meet the above principles. Once that they're happy they do meet these requirements, they can self-certify that they meet the requirements of the pledge. The guidance also suggests trustees and administrators should familiarise themselves with the PC code. So why would trustees and administrators want to embrace this gold standard for transfers? Trustees are required to act in the best interest of members and to run schemes in accordance with the rules. Where members have a right to transfer, then trustees must ensure that they take reasonable steps to protect those members. Administrators must be able to meet those needs as part of their standard offering for all clients and need to be able to meet those pledge requirements applicable to scheme administration as soon as just one client signs the pledge. Administration is all about standardised processes, so third party administrators have, in my view, little choice but to comply. Also, for both trustees and administrators, this is a useful catalyst to review existing processes to ensure that they're up to date and make best use of the ever-expanding suite of resources available from regulators, maps and industry bodies like PSIG. And if that's not enough reason to sign up, what happens when things go wrong? If a scheme administrator chooses not to sign the pledge and then a member transfers to a scam, the Ombudsman may well decide that was avoidable if the principles of the pledge had been applied. For TAS, our starting point is carrying out a gap analysis of our current procedures and member comms in preparation for signing up. Our letters needed some minor tweaks, but our procedures were already compliant. For the staff training point referred to earlier, we are creating alternative training in addition to our existing transfer training for staff. We confirmed with TPR that the provision of links or electronic copies of standard leaflets instead of hard copies with member comms was okay. The original promotion of the pledge suggested that hard copies were required. We alert members to transfer-related risk and our standard member comms. In some places, we've referred to the topic page link holding a leaflet, as regulators are not always very good at telling the industry when a leaflet is moved, changed or deleted. 
So who does what? The requirements do not fall entirely with trustees, administrators or lawyers. Trustees need to be clear what they've outsourced and what remains their responsibility. As administrators, we will pick up areas like procedures and our generic member comms. But once you've identified a suspicious transfer, we hand over to the trustees for them to decide what to do. That may include contacting members directly to discuss the trustees' concerns, but that is not a standard administration function. That is, in my view, a trustee function. Trustees may also choose to seek legal advice on how to proceed at that point. TAS are piloting an add-on service we call ScamScan to add extra checks for transfers to schemes that are not on a low-risk list. Members are called and asked to confirm various points derived from the PC code to help identify any red flags in relation to her two scams. Both member and trustee experience of the service so far has been very positive. We're now moving on to planning and setting up resourcing of the ScanScam service for a rollout more widely later this year. So next steps for pension scheme trustee boards. They need to consider if they can operate in the best interests of members without signing the pledge. And even if they feel they can, what will a view of the ombudsman be in any transfer case that goes wrong or a conscious decision not to sign the pledge has taken place? Trustee boards should consider talking about these issues to their legal advisors and asking their administration provider how prepared they are for the pledge and how they can support the pledge requirements. In-house admin teams will need to go through their procedures and member comms in the same way that third-party administrators have had to. Finally, all parties must be clear what their part is in meeting the pledge. I hope you found this useful and good luck with your preparations if you decide to sign the pledge. I'll hand you back over to Pete now. Thanks, Mark. And thank you for joining us for this CMS Pensions Lawcast. We hope that you found it interesting and that you will join us again for our next Lawcast, which will focus on death benefits. If you have any questions, please do send them to us by email. Thank you for listening. <laughs>